Well, Adam asked me to speak on Mother's Day, and I like to, you know, coordinate, I guess is the word. So if I'm speaking on Mother's Day, I wanted to speak on being a mother and um, longing to be a mother and being without a mother and all that entails. And I didn't really have anything for that. And he's like, hey, why don't you finish up your... um, your Ruth and Naomi and Boaz series, which y'all probably thought I did, but I still had like 20 slides left when I finished the last time I preached. And I had some really good points, but the problem was I don't really relate to Boaz, so I didn't like feel him. You know, it was like, I can get up there and talk about Boaz and show you what God's given me about Boaz, but I don't, I don't feel it. I don't, when I speak, I feel more like an inspirational speaker than just a preacher. So I was like, I just, I was not feeling it. And um, I got sort of sick Saturday morning, and I've been telling Adam for several weeks. I'm like, it's just, you know, I'll preach, but I just don't really feel it kind of thing. So, um, so I worked on it last night, and, you know, I got my old slides out because I didn't use them last time, and probably won't use them again today, Alyssa. But, um, you know, I was like, I had a piece about it. I knew it was good stuff, what God had given me. But it just wasn't what I wanted it to be. And I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm going with it. That's what I got. And God means somebody. Well, on the way to church this morning, I didn't even think about it. I was just praying that God would be with me and, you know, help me through it and give me his words to speak and not just Tanya up here saying what she wants to say. And, um... He flooded my brain with all kind of stuff. I'd already texted Adam. I was like, please be praying for me. You know, my fever's up this morning. I don't feel good. And within seconds, which to me, I know, he started praying. My covering started praying for me. So God, God gave it to me. He revealed to me how I connect to Boaz. And I was like, I was overwhelmed. The kids were in the back. They were just back and forth, happy as could be, having this great conversation about Minecraft and Clash of Clans because they weren't playing on their iPads. They were talking about it. And they had this beautiful plan going on back there. Well, Tanya likes to listen to the radio on her way to church, and especially if I'm going to be speaking because I just wanted my spirit full. Couldn't hear the radio. <laughs> I was like, okay, God, I'm scratching everything I had planned for today, and I'm, and I'm going with you. So we, we started with Naomi, and we decided that Naomi lived a life of, of doing the expected. She did what was expected out of her, and um, that's, a, that's a choice that we make. You know, we do, we do the church thing. We do the steps of salvation. We become a Christian. We do everything involved with that. And a lot of times we get stuck in the doing just following the rules and doing the things that we know we're supposed to do to be a good person and a good Christian. But God wants more for us than that. He wants us to move into an exceptional place to where we do what's the exception to the rule. When the rest of the people we know are doing things this way, it doesn't feel quite right. God God pushes us more toward another way, the exception to it. Ruth was the exception to her sister-in-law, Orpah, who decided to do the expected and go back to her family when her husband died. But Ruth said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be the exception. 
and I'm going to hang out with my mother-in-law, Naomi. So she chose the exception. She chose the exceptional. When we move into the extraordinary, only God can place us into the extraordinary. When we are functioning in that exceptional, we're doing things. We're, we're coming to work day on May 21st, not because we feel led to, but because we're doing the exception. You know, we don't have to go work. Carl will do it. Mild will do it. Brandon will do it. A whole bunch of people in here will do it. But we're going to be the exception, and we're going to go. We're going to do what we can. I don't have much to offer, but I'll be here to do what I can. We do the exceptional. But when we're doing that exceptional, before we know it, and we don't know when, God moves us into that extraordinary. And Boaz, in the story of Ruth, lives that extraordinary part that we talk about. Um, In Ruth 2 and 4... We get um, to get an idea of Boaz's personality, and we see that he's a servant leader. He not only leads his people, but he, I think he works side by side with all the workers in his field. And you know, later in the story, I didn't go into all the scripture because I didn't want to spend a lot of time there, but when, um, when the harvest time and the threshing time is coming, Boaz is right there in the middle of it. He goes out there and he sleeps at night. That's where Ruth and Boaz um, that's where the covenant becomes, um, that they establish their covenant. But he was out there with his men. He was a servant leader. And when he greets them, we know uh, when he comes up to them, it says, Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. It wasn't just a, hey, how's it going? But when he spoke, he spoke blessing and he spoke encouragement to them. He knows they're out there laboring and doing their best. And when he speaks, he speaks encouragement. And then when they reply, they say, the Lord bless you. They've established this relationship. So he's not just a a leader out there just telling them, okay, this is how it's going to be done. He wasn't just an organized person because evidently he was a wealthy man and he had a very organized uh, field out there. You know, everything ran in place. But he, he established relationship with them. So he got in there with the thick of it. And then later we see when he notices, he knew each person out there, I feel like, I'm always amazed at the schools I'm in. One of my school, well, my home-based school has almost 700 kids. It's like 680-something. It fluctuates almost daily. There's close to 700 kids. And um, I'm not sure if our current principal does. I know she probably knows the majority of them. But the principal we had before her knew almost every kid's name. When she walked up to a child, she could speak to that child by name. And I was amazed at that because I have about 32 kids on my caseload. <laughs> Sometimes I have to remind myself going down the hall what their name is and who I'm going to get, you know, because, you know, they just all run together sometimes. But I was always amazed that she took the time to, to get to know the kids enough to remember their name. And Boaz, I think when he looked across his field, he could see every face. And he's like, okay, Tammy's here, you know. Sierra's here, Daniel's here. You know, he, I think he sort of did a mental head check through it. And he spotted a lady one day, and he's like, uh, who's that girl? 
He saw her working, and he saw her trailing behind, and he, she knew she just didn't fit. So I think he was very aware, just like, you know, we always hear the correlation between Boaz and Jesus. You know, he's very aware of everything happening. So Boaz goes up to her, and I think he had he'd checked her out. You know, he's like, who is that pretty lady out in the field? And he went up to some people, I'm sure, and said, hey, who's that? And they told him the story of Ruth. So when he approaches her, he said, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland, and you came to live with a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So we see that Ruth living in the exceptional has placed her in a position of favor with Boaz. And when we live, when Boaz was moving in that extraordinary phase, in that extraordinary realm, God's favor was on him. And that's what happens in the extraordinary God puts so much favor on your life that you in turn are able to, it overflows. You pour out into those people, into the lives you meet, into the roots that he brings into your life. You're able because you're so full of God's favor and God's blessing that you're willing to and want to pour it into somebody else. I've watched Adam be able to do that over the past few years, you know, where we wasn't really in a position you know, to know needs, you know, you don't just randomly know other people's needs, but since he's been a pastor, you know, you're aware of the needs in your church, and to watch all of you when you're aware of a needs, how you're all, you, you pour out, you know, God's blessed us so much that that's what we do, we just pour out, and we pour out, and that's what Boaz did, and get my place together. And to move into that level of extraordinary, I think there's some, uh, a plan laid out for us. That we don't just stay in the exceptional, that we're willing and available. Because we want to be ready when God does call us into that next step of ministry. That, that we're ready to go. And in 2 Peter 1, 3-11... It tells us sort of some steps. It's sort of, um, you do this, and once you work on this for a little while, God's going to let you work on this next step. Much like when Adam does the Beatitudes process, I think this correlates to it, that you you work and you work and work in one area, and as you begin to, I don't want to say master it, but as those fruits become alive in you, then you move on to something else that God wants to develop in you. And in Second Peter, God sort of gives us an outline of this. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who, are called, who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to your goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness. 
and to godly, godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed of their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. If you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what amazes me about Boaz. You know, once we reach that level of ministry that God's called us and placed us into, it's not over. It really is just the beginning of something else again. Because this time... We, instead of just doing the expected, where we sort of know the steps, you know, anybody can follow those. And then you move into the exceptional, where it's more of a choice, and we still have some control over where we're going to do the exceptional, or where we're just going to stay back toward the expected. But the more it becomes a cho- the more choices we make, I think the easier those choices become. But when we move into that extraordinary, we lose our control. We fully depend on God because God's placed us there. You know, Adam's done everything he can to prepare himself to be a preacher. Well, he's got that ministry now. Now what? Now what becomes what's really become uh, eye-opening for me in the past few months especially, and it's where God led me this morning. The now what is God only gives us a lamp. He says he's a lamp unto our feet, right? When you think about a lamp in that little circle of light that a lamp makes, it's enough for today. It's enough for your step that you're taking. And as we've entered this ministry of of a pastor in a church, God's put that lamp right in front of us, and we've taken a step And you, as a church body, moving into a brand new building very soon, he's led you step by step. And it's easy to see that we're in church and we're all working together. But what it's hard to see is in those steps, there's darkness pretty much all around you at times. And when I thought about Boaz and when God revealed to me this morning Boaz had spent a lifetime of waiting. Now, we don't know how old Boaz was when Ruth came into his life, but it alludes to the fact that he was older. He had been alone and single for a long time. And I'm sure he spent a lot of active years, you know, pursuing that lady that was going to be his helpmate, that was going to come along beside him and lead with him. All while he was in that extraordinary position. But it wasn't happening. But what we see is Boaz didn't lose sight of the darkness that was out there. He kept his eyes in that light that was right in front of him. Step by step as he interacted day by day with those, his workers and those that surrounded him. And probably became his family. Because we don't hear about Boaz's family aside from the ones that he had lost. Elimelech and... Mahon and all those that he went to find. 
but we don't know about his side of the family at all. We know his mother was Rahab. What do we know about Rahab? She was a prostitute, a redeemed one. You know, God gave a whole story to her we could go into, but God, God gave her a way out of that. But that's who he grew up with. And I think having a mom like Rahab, Boaz knew what he wanted in a woman. I think Rahab did everything in her power to raise a son that would want something different than what she was. You know, Rahab wanted for him to have something completely different than what she had as a lady growing up. So when I got to thinking about that waiting part, it seems like it gets heavier and heavier the more responsibility you have on your life. And when I thought about how does this tie into motherhood, it's all a waiting game. Happy Mother's Day. You're going to wait. You're going to wait. That's what it's all about almost. Get pregnant. You wait to have the baby. You wait for it to take its first step. You wait for it to begin kindergarten. But what we lose sight of as parents is living in that moment, living in that day and cherishing every day that we have. And in that waiting, knowing that God is fighting for us, he is by our side, he will never leave us. He's gone before us, he's out there in the dark preparing the way for us. And all he's saying is, trust me. I think of all the times, you know, I think of Caroline and Jameson that we'll know right now. Why? Why? Why do we got to? And you can't explain it to them a lot of times. I try to if I can explain a reason that I'm doing something. But sometimes you just can't explain to them the why. It's just, uh, trust me, you'll find out. You know, when they ask those questions you're not quite ready for them to know the answers to, it's, uh, you're going to have to trust me. You'll find out pretty soon. And that's where we are a lot of times in life. And I think so much of our lives, whether we're in ministry or we're still in that exceptional part where we're doing our best to do things God's way and not our way, a lot of times we're stuck in the waiting. It's like, I want to be, I want to have my ministry laid out there for me, God. What is it? What have you called me to do? Am I supposed to lead singing up there somehow? Am I supposed to, um, you know, lead the youth group? What is it? What is that ministry? And we lose sight of where we are right now. And that God's called us to just be in the moment. And I think of the pressures um, I've had as a working mom. Um, It was a hard, you know, it's, it's a hard decision When you have a child, and, you know, I never was set on being a stay-at-home mom, but a part of me really wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And, uh, you know, I was only, when I had Caroline, I dropped back to four days a week, which translated to 190 days a year that I worked. And I thought, hmm, that's not too bad. And Adam kept saying, you know, it's going to be worth it. It's just 190 days a year. You're You're not with them all day. And once they get in school, it's the perfect situation. You know, so we made that decision as a family. And then when he's had the second job, literally, 
placed in his life, you know, pressures at home have gotten sort of tough, you know, because Adam basically works two and a half jobs and I work two, I say, you know, because I work at school and then come home and work at home. Well, Adam does the, the teaching job, the preaching job, and then he comes home and helps at home. So, you know, we're always busy, always, always busy. And it's just this pressure. It's not heavy pressure, but it's a constant pressure from the outside in. So uh, about a year ago, um, another girl that I work with, she had expressed interest. She only works two and a half days a week, which translates into 95 days a year. And she said, you know, I'd really like to pick up some more days. And I was like, you know, I'd really like to drop a few days. <laughs> so we, she and I began praying about it and her husband's name is Adam as well. So they began praying about it. And, um, you know, we didn't really think much about it. And then back in January, um, we went to a continuing ed conference together. And God, I think, just sort of orchestrated it to where it all sort of came to, together for us. And she said, are you, are you serious about going down to two and a half days. I said, yeah, are you serious about going up to four? And she's like, oh, yeah. So it was just God, God's timing for that. God ordained that. Well, we waited until our contracts came out to make sure, you know, we were getting one and to make sure that in our district they like to cut corners where they can. So with positions like ours that are not full-time, they're, you get a little iffy at the end of the year as to whether they're going to keep on that two and a half day employee. Well, we got our contract, so we knew coverage was fine for the next year. So we went to our director. She was very supportive of it. And she said, well, we thought it would be an easy, you know, just a paperwork thing to where they would just swap our days because I'll save the district a little bit of money because I've been there a lot longer than her. Well, it wasn't simple. It's never simple. So we had to write a letter to the um, lady over human resources and to the management team. I was like, okay. So we wrote our letters, didn't get a response, didn't get a response to our email. So we waited over a week, and they finally said, we have accepted your, you know, your proposal, and you can switch days for the 2016 through 2017 year only. I'm like, what? Really? It was supposed to be something simple, and now it's this big ordeal. So we... Our director called, and long story short, we had to submit another letter. Well, thank the Lord, they replied within that day, and that change is final. But I was, this is something I wanted, right? But still in the back of my head, I'm like, God, is this thing, is this what I'm supposed to do? You know, is it just a Tanya thing that she wants more time at home? Or is this a God thing that God wants me home for? God is always faithful in the waiting. During that week that we were waiting, Caroline has a, um, a wax museum project coming up. She needs some different articles for a costume. So I went to Goodwill just to find some pieces for her stuff. I thought it would be a quick run in and quick run out because I knew like two things I was looking for and if they didn't have them, I was going to go on my way. Well, I was looking through a rack and I had my Lifeline shirt on. See, Mike's got his on today. And um, 
the lady that was in front of me, she's, I love your shirt. Where'd you get that? And I explained to her, it was our church's mission, you know, it was our um, mission statement. And I explained to her what it meant. And she said, I just love that. She said, do y'all sell them in extra large? And I said, well, you know, we really hadn't sold them. It's just more of an order we've placed. So I got to talking to this lady. And um, her husband died three years ago. I think I've got my time right. It's not important, but about three years ago. And um, she just began to pour out her heart to me. <laughs> I, was, I was standing there. And I felt God's confirmation that he's opening up time to me to be able to do that. You can't stage those encounters. You know, you can't just walk up to somebody and start those conversations. Well, this lady went on to explain they had been married 34 years. And um, she grew up in a foster home. She was hurt deeply as a child. She said, I never knew what love was until I married my husband. And God's just pinging all these things in my brain while she's talking. I think about Ben and Carmen that whole time. You know, I thought, They've, they've moved Ben and God's moved Ben and Carmen into an extraordinary position. Because how many of us in here would realize the need for foster care in this county? I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been aware had it not been for them. And they're, they're, there's a mission field stirring in their family, and, it, and it's spreading over into other families. But I'm thinking about her, and I'm thinking about that mission statement. You know, that Adam's been talking about with revival. And then it, 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 it starts within each of us. And then God showed me that overflow. Because this lady starts going on about her grief was so hard. She said, I stopped going to church. And that's when I shared with her, I said, I know grief that hard. I said, I did the same thing. I said, I decided I didn't know if I wanted to serve a God that would hurt me like that. Or allow me hurt like that. So she, um, she, she kept, and she said, you know, she said, I started praying that God would bring happiness back into my life. And uh, she said, I prayed for three years that God would do that. And she had a little grandbaby born about six months ago, I think. And she said, when God brought Ava into my life, she said, I knew then that God had answered my prayer and he brought that joy back into my life. I was like, thank you, Lord. So she had already shared with me some stuff about her physical health. And um, I had already prayed with her. You know, I was like, I feel like I'm supposed to pray with you. Is that okay? So I had prayed with her and um, prayed for healing in her body and for God's provision in her life. And, I, and, and that's what opened up more of her to expel. But as I stood there and I talked to her, you know, I, share, I was able to share with her. She goes to Foothills. And another friend of mine that lost her husband last year had told me just the week before that there is a widow's group at Foothills. And Janet shared with me how it had just touched her heart that she was able to bond with these women. So I thought, God, you are so faithful that a week ago I asked for things to change in our family you know, for a good change for us. And then 
I was worried about it. But God was so faithful in that spot where I was that day, that step I had taken that day that God was faithful. And he said, this is where you're supposed to be right now. It's in the waiting. It's always in the waiting, it seems. Boaz was in the waiting period until he saw Ruth that day. Do you think Boaz had given up on a, on a lady? I do. I think he had decided that's just not for me. But God knew better. And I know a lot of us today, we're in a waiting spell. We've been in a waiting spell with Jameson for a little while. He's got moderate hearing loss in his right ear. It's not a huge thing. Probably it's to him. But it's, it's been a little nagging, you know, like extra pressure with school because he, they don't think he pays attention or he tunes out. And then when we realized he has hearing problems, of course he's not paying attention because he probably doesn't hear half of this stuff going on. So we've been in this whole waiting situation with him about what are we going to do about this hearing loss. And it's, it's just that pressure that pressure that we feel constantly, different things like that, that mold us. When you think about things that are compressed in nature, what happens to it? If you crush a rose petal, it releases its fragrance. It releases the oil. It releases the healing properties inside the seed. If you press coal, over time it turns into a diamond. God uses that waiting time and that pressing time to bring out what he wants out of us. So this ordeal with Jameson, we go tomorrow. This has been like six months for an MRI and CAT scan just to rule out anything, any kind of mass in there. That'll weigh on you. It's like the daughter said, I don't expect to find anything. And I thought, how many parents went into an MRI or a CAT scan not expecting to find anything, but it being a blessing that they did because they caught it early. You know, you got all these warring things in your head. But I believe, even if there is, God's got it. It'll be one more step that we'd have to take. And the other option, if, if nothing shows up, then we're looking at surgery for him. It's not major, it's not life-threatening, but it's still your kid. And it's still just that pressure. And I know we're all, I just see different people, and I know the pressures that are in your lives. I know college pressure. A lot of faces I see this morning, I've just finished semesters, some or years. Body's going into her senior year. It's a lot of pressure. That whole age between 18 and 25 to me was the most pressure-filled age I, I have ever been in. Because it's you're doing what you've got to do, but you, you can't feel, you can't obtain, you can't grasp anything. Your career's out there, your spouse is out there, everything's out there, and you're stuck in that spot. But today, I want you to remember, God is fighting for you in that waiting period. That pressure is making us whole. It's bringing out the beauty. It's bringing out the product that God wants out of us. So while we're in this waiting period, I want us to keep focused on God. Keep trusting. He 
loves you. We think of him as the father. And on Mother's Day, he's also the mother. Because he's the one that wants to wrap his arms around you. Pull you in a little tight. Mama's like, hold on. We like to hold on to those moments while we can. As Jameson gets older, I know he's not going to want to sit in Mama's lap and snuggle every morning before school. And I've been very aware of that this year. I thought he's going into third grade. This may be my last snuggle mornings. Hold on. God's doing something beautiful. He's making something beautiful out of your pressure and out of your waiting. We're going to close. I'm going to close with... um, one more scripture that I didn't put up here, Alyssa. I, I found it after I did all my slides. This was an interesting story, too. I'll show you here because I'm going to have to flip it over anyway. I didn't have my Bible that I usually use beside me last night. I wasn't feeling good, so I was laying on the bed trying to get all this stuff together. And I knew I had one, like, right there. So I reached down and I grabbed it. And I opened a roof. And this little card was stuck in there. And I was like, God... <laughs> When did I write that? Why did I write that? Why is it in Ruth? It's about Abraham. And then I read it. I was like, God put the index card there. Say what you want. That's what I believe. Then in Hebrews 6, 9 through 15, he says, Dear friends, we are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. For God is not unjust. He'll not forget how hard you've worked for him and how you've shown your love to him by caring for other believers, as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dumb and indifferent. That's again. If we stop pressing forward, if we stop trusting those words spiritually dumb, we don't listen to them anymore. And indifferent, we don't care anymore. Don't let us come to that place. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and their endurance. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham God took an oath in his own, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God has promised. What has God promised you? What do you want God to promise you? I sat for many years Without a mom on Mother's Day, after I got married, I sat a lot of years without a mom, without being a mom. I wanted a promise. God gave us that promise. For those that sit here today on Mother's Day with those same kind of longings, longing to be a mother one day, and it's not looking good. Missing your mom. 
There's a promise. God will never leave you. And God will never forsake you. God has a plan for better things. I don't know what this two and a half day a week plan looks like for me. But I know it's been in God's time and it's weird time. I mean, it was just like random. You know, it doesn't make sense why it just happened this year. And he hasn't shown me what it is. But I know it's a God thing. It's not just to relieve some pressure off of Adam and to relieve some, you know, get stuff done during the week so we have the weekend freed up. I know God's called me into something, and I want to be available and willing to what it is. Because that same day I ran into Rosa, I ran into another friend who stopped working last year. She's been a stay-at-home mom this year, and she's keeping the daughter of a teacher that we work with. And Christina is pouring her life into that little girl. And she's, that little girl is going to have that Christian influence that she needs in her life. And when Christina started talking, she started crying. And she said, I know now why God had me stop working. And I said, I know now why I talked to you today. Because I'm still waiting on that. Keep waiting, keep praying, keep trusting. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this time together, and I thank you for your timing. That it's never anything that we we think it's going to be. God, I thank you for this still, small voice that I heard this morning. I pray that I'm always sensitive to that, that I never become spiritually dumb and indifferent. Lord, I just pray for each person in here that's in their waiting moment. God, that you'll give them your grace and your mercy for a new day, for a new step tomorrow. God, I pray that in those moments when they're just overwhelmed by the pressure and the pressure is hard and the pressure is heavy, God, that you give them the endurance because we know what our goal is. We know who's gone before us, the one who's making the plan and who is making all things beautiful. Go with us this week. Help us share your love. Help us find those exceptional moments. Help us be extraordinary in an ordinary world that needs you so much. Help us be strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.